Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome everyone to another edition of the Pensbrook Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Behanna, joined alongside Hooks Orpik himself, Jim Rixner. Jim, how are you doing? Doing great. Welcome everybody to the show, episode 29. Garrett, who's your favorite number 29 in Pittsburgh Penguins history? Well, Jim, there isn't a lot to go on in for number 29 in Penguins history, except for maybe two players, I think. I think both, of, both you and I are, are probably going to pick one or the same player. Uh, I'll go with the old two-niner himself, nice. Phil Bork. Uh, As I said, the only podcast, Pennsburg podcast guest of 29. So Yes, uh, published author now, and we were happy to have him a couple of episodes ago, published author, former Pittsburgh Penguin, Phil Bork, recording 164 points in 344 games played with the Pittsburgh Penguins. So I'll show some love to the old two-niner. Uh, Jim, what about you? I, I have a feeling it's not too much of a cliffhanger i have a feeling who i think you're going to go with with the other number 29 it's not a big cliffhanger you're right i'm taking the polish hammer christoph oliwa oh wow what a what a swerve <laughs> no but i do have a christoph oliwa story at we'll save it for the end of the show as a cliffhanger for everyone so that this podcast doesn't totally get derailed but since you took phil bork of course it's got to be mark andre Fleury, the best goaltender in penguins franchise history that he is. Uh, but Jim, we have a, a pretty big show to get to this week. Quite a bit has happened since our last podcast one week ago. And we'll start by recapping the last couple of games the Penguins have played against the uh, Los Angeles Kings, the Columbus Blue Jackets, and the Calgary Flames. The first game that comes to mind is the divisional matchup against the Columbus Blue Jackets, a game in which the Penguins won by a score of one to nothing. Two goose eggs were on the board. There had to be a one nothing winner, and it was found in overtime. And uh, Jim, obviously not a lot of offense in this Columbus game. The only bit of offense coming in overtime, like I said, and the goal scorer was Mr. Rust himself, Brian Rust. Uh, other than the overtime goal, I believe Jari started that game. Uh, Jim, is there anything you wanted to add to the one nothing victory over the Columbus Blue Jackets? Nope, we don't have to spend too much time on that. That's one of the most boring games I think I've seen in years that the Penguins have played. They only gave up 17 shots that game, which is a good thing. Jari did make a couple of saves on the breakaways that, that were nice. But yeah, that one was a snoozer, only one goal, not much going on otherwise. So yeah, it's, it was good to get the win at home and break the one-game losing streak they were on, having lost to Montreal the game before that. So yeah, then we move on to the Kings game on Saturday. And... uh the Penguins, like you said, Jim, uh, welcomed the Kings to town, and it was uh, a lot more offense than we saw in the previous game against the Blue Jackets with the Penguins winning 5-4 to four in the shootout. Looking at this game by itself, 
the Penguins had a lead, and uh, the Kings came back pretty late in the third period to tie things up at four. And uh, I believe Jari started that game as well, getting the shootout win over his netminder rival, Jonathan Quick. Not too much giving the extra point away to a Western Conference team in the Kings. But it's another win in the win column for the injury-depleted Penguins. So a win is a win. Jim, was there anything that stuck out to you in the game against the Los Angeles Kings? That one, that, that was a, a much more entertaining game. The Kings went up 2 nothing. Then, of course, Brian Rusk, there's that man again, scores two goals to make it 2-2. Two to two. The Penguins scored two more goals to make it 4-2, to two, and they did fritter that away and, and have to go to the shootout, where, of course, who else scores in the shootout but Brian Rust? He was everywhere. This could be a spoiler alert for the player of the week coming up. But, yeah, um, like you said, any time the Pens win with no— there's no Malkin that night for illness, there is no Crosby, there is no— Brian Dumlin, you go down the list, no Hornquist, so you win, that's a good night, and they found a way to win thanks to Brian Rust. That they did, and uh, we'll talk about some more Brian Rust right here in the following game that they played uh, against the Calgary Flames, a 4-1 victory over the Calgary Flames in Calgary as the Penguins kicked off the Western Canada swing. And, uh, Jim, this game was closer than the final score sheet reckoned it was uh, with the Penguins winning 4-1, to one, two of those four goals coming with two empty netters. Jim, I, I think it was a tale of a, uh, of tale of two periods, and uh, I believe the sec- it was the second period where the Penguins finally turned it on and, and really took control of the rest of the game. And uh, the performance that sticks out to me was that of Brian Rust notching two points, a goal and an assist. And Jim, like you said before we moved on to the game against the Calgary Flames, this might be a spoiler alert uh, for when we when we get into the fall, next segment talking about our player of the week. But uh, if it wasn't for Brian Rust over these last couple of games, Jim, uh, it's safe to say that we might not be talking about three straight wins. Yeah, not not at all. Uh, he was the, the difference maker, not so much in this Calgary game, certainly in the Columbus game and the Los Angeles game last week. He was the driving force and the main reason that the Penguins won. And last night, too, he uh, Brian Russ missed the game day skate on Tuesday, so there were some concerns that maybe he would have the illness that struck down Malkin for two games that, that had recently taken out Zach Aston-Reese and Jack Johnson, I think those are the only guys to have it really badly like that. But Russ was able to play, and he did make a difference. He scored what ended up being the game-winning goal on Tuesday night against the Flames. So, yeah, you look at it, his name just keeps coming up again and again, and it's it's really becoming a huge storyline for the Pens. Why don't we just move into it now and get it over with? Because I think you and I are going to have the same player of the week. Uh, and for me, it's it has to be Brian Rust getting the game-winning goal in uh, overtime against Columbus, registering three points against the Kings and registering another two points against the Flames, like you had just mentioned. Uh, I don't think there has been a hotter forward on this team over the last couple of games than Brian Rust. But, Jim, if you have anybody else that's not named Brian Rust, uh, I'd like to hear it. Well, for the purposes of the podcast, give and take, sometimes you, you try to make discussion. And sure, Chris Letang, yeah. I think, quietly has six points in the last three games this week and played 27 minutes a night, which is good. But, you know, the Penguins scored nine goals this past week since our last podcast. And Russ had four goals and two assists. And he had a shootout goal, which doesn't even count. So I can't even be a contrarian on this. It's Brian Russ. He, he is your Pennsburg pod player of the week for sure. Jim, let's go back and talk about the Calgary game for just a second. 
And uh, there's something, there's something, uh, a milestone that was reached in that Calgary game that I want to discuss and that we will form our next segment around. And that is Evgeny Malkin scoring his 400th NHL goal. Uh, it was an empty netter, the, the first empty netter that the Penguins scored to make it 3-1 to one against the Calgary Flames. But a goal is a goal. Uh, a nice round milestone for Evgeny Malkin, Mr. 101, as I will call him probably for the duration of this podcast. But, Jim, looking at the career of Evgeny Malkin, uh, I think it's time, since that now that he's hit finally hit 400 goals, uh, we'll have a little bit of a career retrospective. And uh, if there's any big moments, Geno moments that come to mind, they don't have to be goals. They can be uh, nice passes or assists or any kind of moment that comes off the top of your head when talking about Geno Malkin and his quest that he's finally reached to goal number 400. When you wrote this down, the f- the first thing I guess that was top of mind that just stood out to me and I don't know, it makes me laugh, so I guess that's why I think about it, is that goal he scored on a breakaway against the Philadelphia Flyers that was a slap shot goal from in close. Yep, yep. Yeah, you know that one. I, I mean, that was just kind of ridiculous, but that was so funny. Like, I, I believe Mike Richards buried him into the boards just before that, so he was really angry, and he took his frustration out, and that one always makes me chuckle. And then the second one I thought of, which is kind of weird and kind of off the cuff, I had to look it up. It felt like it happened, I thought it happened a year or two ago, but apparently it happened November 28, 2015. It was a goal at home against the Edmonton Oilers where Malkin was coming back into the play. He stole a puck from behind an Oiler player, spun around, was on a one-on-one, and then he did like an, another spin, spinorama goal. So that one, if you saw the replay, you'd remember it, but that stood out to me. Apparently he's four years old now, so that kind of spinning goal against the Oilers would be my other one that stood out. What about you? You actually took the goal right out of my mouth. No that was way. The, that was the one, yes, that I because I had looked up some highlight film of Evgeny Malkin as well. That was the goal that I was going to talk about, the, the Edmonton spinorama. Uh, I know this goal, this performance in particular, doesn't count since it's uh, considered playoff, and uh, there are two, obviously, two different sections for playoff statistics and regular season statistics. But the uh, hat trick he scored against the Carolina Hurricanes in 2009, finishing off with another backhander uh, to get the third hat trick goal against Cam Ward, that that was a moment that came to mind for me as well. Like I said, it doesn't count towards the, the, the regular season goals that he scored, but another nice moment in the career of Evgeny Malkin. I do want to say one thing, Jim, before I let you go, if you do have anything else you want to say. Uh, Evgeny Malkin, for being Mr. 101, the, the 101st uh, greatest NHL player of all time, uh, I think there has been some time since that list has passed, and we, we, we still make fun of it to this day for how ludicrous it really was. But Evgeny Malkin has joined Mario Lemieux with 690, Sidney Crosby with 451, and Yaramir Yager with 439 as the only players in franchise history to reach 400 goals. And the last thing I'll say about Evgeny Malkin before I hand it over to you, Jim, is I think... Now that Malkin has hit 400 goals, uh, and we've done a little bit of a career retrospective, I I don't know if you feel the same way I do, Jim, but it kind of feels like... We we, we obviously know that Malkin is a a first ballot Hall of Famer, but does it feel like to you, Jim, that he's gone uh, quite a bit under the radar or a little bit underrated over his NHL career? Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean... You look at it, he's in the perfect shadow, Malkin, whether it's on his own team with Sidney Crosby or even his draft year coming out the same time as Alex Ovechkin, 
who's his countryman. And between Crosby and Ovechkin, those are the guys who have gotten all the the spotlight and attention. And I think their personalities too, especially Ovechkin, is more seeking the spotlight and seeking all that all that attention. And that hasn't been Malkin's stuff. He's been fine. You know, he he lets what happens on the ice speak for itself, and it sure does because. Um, you know, 400 goals is a heck of an achievement, and I put together that article on the blog today about the teams. There's not that many teams, first of all, or many players on teams who scored 400 goals with a single team. So that just shows, I think, how special it is that that Malkin stuck around in Pittsburgh for this long. And, you know, a lot of star players, sometimes they'll get antsy or they'll get a trade. Even some of the best players of this generation, like a Joe Thornton or something like that, you know, Phil Kessel's bounced around a lot. Those guys tend to, to move teams. So for me, my takeaway is, yeah, uh, what Malkin does, you kind of realize it once he hits like the 1,000-point metric last last season or the 400 this year, is you realize how good it is and really how special it is to have like a star player that's been in town and been on your team ever since he's come into the league and hopefully and probably that he won't be changing teams again. Yeah, Jim, that, that's a really good point, something that I didn't think about until you started talking about it. it. It's easy for a lot of these star players, like you said, who, like like you said, Malkin was, has been living in the shadow of Sidney Crosby really for his entire career. And it's easy for a superstar to want to find that spotlight and, you know, want to take control of a team by themselves. And Malkin has really played second fiddle to Crosby for, like I said, for the majority of his career. And like you said... Uh, he let he lets his play do all of the talking on the ice. He really isn't one to seek the spotlight, like you said, in comparison to Alex Ovechkin. So uh, it really is uh, a nice milestone. Uh, big congratulations goes out to Evgeny Malkin, and we're hoping for four. Let's well, let's hope for four hundred more goals before he hangs up the skates. <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if he'll reach four hundred more goals by the time he he calls it a career, but uh, we hope for four hundred goals nonetheless. Uh, Jim, switching gears to our next segment, there is a player that I want to talk about, another Russian, and he, this Russian just so happens to be friends with Evgeny Malkin, and uh, this is, of course, I am referring to Ilya Kovalchuk, who just this week was officially, he had his contract terminated by the Los Angeles Kings, his uh, Kings tenure, very disappointing Kings tenure, comes to an end, I think both sides really wanted to get out from e- each other's grasp, and, and Kovalchuk wanted to move on. I bring this up because it has come out that Ilya Kovalchuk does not want to end his NHL career just yet, and he has his desires to, quote, play for a contender. Uh, And uh, so with that being said, the first thought that comes to mind for Pittsburgh Penguins blog and and, uh, Pittsburgh Penguins fans is if Ilya Kovalchuk is willing to play for an NHL-based salary, and I believe it has been stated that it is a possibility that he would play for a base salary if he goes to a contender. Uh, what is the possibility of Ilya Kovalchuk signing with the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, giving a right-handed shot, maybe a boost on the power play? Like I said, he is friends with Evgeny Malkin, uh, maybe ha- having a winger alongside Evgeny Malkin since the Alex Galchenyuk situation has not worked. Jim, I, I know you've written uh, extensively over the last couple of days on the blog regarding uh, the future of Ilya Kovalchuk and whatever connection he may have with the Penguins, but what are your thoughts on Ilya Kovalchuk possibly, or maybe not possibly, joining the Pittsburgh Penguins for the remainder of this season? Well, on Wednesday, Bob McKenzie said the Penguins weren't interested at all. 
So I think that that you know pretty well closes the door on my thoughts on if it would happen. You know, Bob McKenzie said that I was dead. I'd probably start digging a hole, expecting it to be true. But um, if you look at it, Kovalchuk's stats this year, this year and last year, while he's on the ice, they're giving up the his team, the Kings, were giving up over four goals per sixty minutes, which is just. I mean, if it's over two and a half or three, that's bad. To be over four is almost unheard of bad. So that speaks to just how poorly he was without the puck. And this season and last, he only scored five power play goals in 81 games with Los Angeles. So while he should be a power play weapon and he's got that big shot, I don't know if if that still exists anymore or, you know, time has gone on. He's 36 years old now. And I mean... The the only interest to me really is because he is a good friend of Malkin's and maybe there's some chemistry there. They played on a lot of Team Canada's together that that, you know, if Kovalchuk was really dedicated and like, hey, look, I, I just want to play for a Stanley Cup, I, which he's never really had the chance to. If he was going to be like, yeah, I'll come in, I'll play half a season, I'll, I'll work hard, I won't dog it, I can still score, put me on your power play, see, give it a try. You know, it, it's not a big risk, but... The reward probably just isn't there for a team like Pittsburgh, who this year, their whole thing is is they're giving up very few chances and all their forwards are buying in right now. And a lot of the changes they've made in the past year, this year in 2019, whether it was adding Jared McCann at the beginning of the year, adding Cahoon, adding Tanev, getting, giving a bigger role to Teddy Bluger and Zach Aston and Reese. I mean, these guys are very responsible players and they're all buying in and they're all working hard and doing well. So to bring in a guy like Kovalchuk, who for lack of a better term, isn't really a Mike Sullivan winger. If you look at it, a lot of the wingers who thrive under Sullivan are, are hardworking skaters that, that move and that come back and play defense and that try hard and guys who don't aren't in Sullivan's good graces for very long with Phil Kessel being one, probably. So I I think, you know, if, if this was like 2009, it would probably be a no-brainer to add Kovalchuk. But now, 2019, he's 36 years old. His his last stints in the NHL have just been absolute disasters, and he's not even scoring that much to offset his bad defense. And his bad defense appears to be really, really bad. So I don't think he has enough in the tank, but, you know, it, it wouldn't be a big risk either. So I don't think it would be the end of the world if they tried it, but the odds of it working out I think are pretty low. So that's probably why they don't have a lot of interest in it. I'd have to agree with you there, and especially with Bob McKenzie seemingly putting the final nail in that coffin. It seems to me, just to put a final bow on this Kovalchuk story, that uh, having not played since coming back and joining the Kings, having not played since 2012-2013 with the Devils when he was 29, it, it seems like to me, the and we hear this all the time, don't we, Jim, how this is a young man's game, and it seems now more than ever it's being built on speed and skill. And uh, it, it, it seems like, for whatever reason, when he came back, into the NHL in 2018. Um, I don't know what kind of vision the Los Angeles... Well, I guess I do know the kind of vision the Kings wanted for Kovalchuk having to bring on this veteran presence. And uh, the, the hope, obviously, was that he would ignite the power play and maybe have a little bit of juice left in that tank. But it seems to me, Jim, that the league has passed him by, for lack of a better term, being, like you said, 36 years old, um, he might have a little tiny bit of juice left in that tank, but you 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 racked off his uh, defensive metrics and uh, really I don't know like you said if the point production is there to outweigh what other 
uh, defensive liabilities he may bring. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to add to the Kovalchuk conversation before we move on? The one interesting thing is it would be interesting to see where he goes. I mean, I'm sure he wants to go to a contender, but McKenzie also said the Bruins were not interested, and the Bruins are another team. They could use, like, a, a secondary scoring threat, you know, and if they're not interested, and McKenzie said the Calgary Flames aren't interested. So I kind of uh, I agree with you, first of all, about saying that the game has passed him by with, with the speed of it now and him getting older and not being able to score like he used to. So I, I do wonder if we've seen the end of him in the NHL because I don't know that there's going to be a very long line of teams, especially contenders, that are going to take a flyer or even give him a, a, a limited risk chance because his play in L.A. was so bad that that just might be the end of it for him. Yeah, I agree with you. I think... If if there if there are if there is no line of teams willing to sign Kovalchuk to an NHL deal, uh, I don't see how difficult it would be for him to go back to his native Russia and find something, find a gig in the KHL. I don't know how lucrative those KHL deals are, Jim. You may know better than I, but uh, if like that that is interesting. If nobody does come and, and sign him to one last hurrah, I, I could see him going over back to the KHL for maybe a couple of more seasons, but. Uh, as it stands right now with Ilya Kovalchuk not looking likely he is going to sign with the Pittsburgh Penguins, we may well have very seen the last of Ilya Kovalchuk in the NHL. Jim, switching gears now, we are heading into our mailbag segment. The I call it the best segment on the podcast. I have a lot of fun with this. Uh, for first-time listeners, long-time listeners who haven't participated in our mailbag segment just yet and would like to, you can do so by following our Pensburg Podcast Twitter account, at Pensburg Pod. Every Tuesday, I will send out a tweet asking for your participation in our mailbag. And uh, so, Jim, like always, you get first crack at the first question on this week's mailbag. Uh, Cole Del Vecchio is back. He asks, who do you think is the most underrated player who has ever played for the Penguins? That's a great question, Cole. I've kind of been thinking about this throughout the day. And I guess for the for the qualification who has played for the Penguins, to me, I, I didn't really choose him for his stint with the Penguins. But um, the name that came to mind, because I, I think a, a not that many people are underrated. Frankly, I think a lot of people are probably overrated. But um, my name might surprise you. I'm going to go with Hal Gill. Oh, interesting. The, yeah, the six foot seven defenseman. And this really goes back to his time. You know, when he got to Pittsburgh, he was kind of a pylon. He had limited mobility. He had played a ton of games. And surprisingly, he lasted about five years after Pittsburgh. You know, he stayed in the league for a while with Montreal and then Nashville. But uh, when Hal Gill was with the Boston Bruins from in the late 90s and early 2000s especially, he was kind of like what Chara is as far as like just that big, huge guy, hulking defenseman, very strong. And uh, Yarmir Yager used to say very frequently that the toughest player for him to play against in the late 90s, early 2000s when Yager was the best player in the game was Hal Gill because Hal Gill was the only guy big enough and strong enough but also back then had the wheels to keep up with, with Yager and knock him off his game. And I think the stats really showed that, too, that in that era, Yager didn't do much against the Boston Bruins, mainly because of Hal Gill. So I would say probably the guy who who's kind of forgotten about of how good he was, and especially since he was, you know, he was pretty limited when he was with the Pens. He was just, like, hobbling along, but he got them to the cup. But I would go with Hal Gill. 
What about you, Garrett? Who's your choice? I did some research on this as well, and both of these players are way before my time. But uh, I, I look at uh, I look at Bob Airy as being an right. underrated player, playing playing alongside Mario Lemieux, and really, I mean, he doesn't. When I say play alongside Mario Lemieux, like you don't think of Airy as, as being that that longtime winger, and he really. He's, he seemed to me like he was always that fearless player and d- wasn't really afraid to go into the dirty areas. Uh, and I think he was integral in, in winning the back-to-back Stanley Cups in 91 and 92. Uh, yeah, of course. Jim, I, I think this player, I don't know if Alexei Kovalev would be considered underrated, just but considering the time he was playing with the Penguins, um, and Jim, like I said, you might be able to speak more on Kovalev's tenure. Obviously, you lived through it. And I really didn't. But looking at, he only played what I think what amounted to like five, four or five seasons with the Penguins. And I think he ranks, uh, what was it? He ranks 14th in goal scored in franchise history. I don't know if that still stands, but uh, he's over a point per game player in his Penguins career. And considering he played late 90s, early 2000s, that's typically, you know, one of the darker times of Penguins franchise history. But, uh, yeah, I think those would have to be two of my rather underrated players. Uh, yeah, that's a great cause. Uh, Bob Airy especially, he's obviously really well-known for still being on the TV broadcast. But, yeah, as, as a player, he was a speedy guy. Um, I think that's a great call. Kovalev, um, I mean, everyone knew. He was, he was an all-star talent, so he had that going for him where I think he was certainly recognized. But even to that extent, his talent was just off the charts, so... I certainly won't fight you for, you know, giving him more credit and talking more about him just because like the stuff he could do, especially when he was when he was on his game, I'm telling you, there was there was really nobody better and that's even even for, you know, the star studded teams he was on. He he could be the best player on the ice several several times. So good cause there. And we will move on to our next question from our buddy Tony Nakunin, who asks Nick Bukesad, what to do with him? Also, which positions should be strengthened? Okay, so I've thought about this Bukestad question quite a bit. And with thinking about Bukestad and what to do with him when he gets healthy, it also made me think about what the Penguins might do to try and kickstart, maybe kickstart um, Alex Galchenyuk. But back to Bukestad for a second. Uh, Bukestad is obviously, I think he's making over $4 million against the salary cap. And we I think we've already talked about it on a couple shows he might be a candidate that gets traded uh, by the trade deadline if they're if the Penguins don't really see a, a necessary fit with him, uh, either at center or at right wing. But thinking about Bukestad, like I said, maybe think about Alex Galchenyuk, and uh, Jim. Well, we've we've talked quite a bit about Alex Galchenyuk, so I'll make this short and sweet. Uh, I remember reading, maybe it was from you, Jim. I think it was on Pensburg, uh, but the general consensus seems to be that. Um, I think you brought this up last week that Alex Gauchenyuk and Evgeny Malkin didn't really mesh because both players seemingly drifted to the center of the ice. And that seems to be Alex Gauchenyuk uh, kicking back into his qualities while playing at the center position and not left wing. So my question to you is Jim, uh, what, what are your thoughts on possibly uh, switching Gauchenyuk from wing to center? Do you think, do you think, even putting Gauchenyuk at center, you know, if if this seemingly is a more natural fit for Gauchenyuk, since you know you've talked about him drifting to the ice and not being a, a cohesive fit with Malkin, if let's say Bukestad gets traded, let's say they keep 
uh, they, they keep Galchenyuk. They put Galchenyuk at center. It, could, a, could a move to the center position be what Galchenyuk needs, maybe not playing in a position that he's uh, not so comfortable or familiar with? Maybe that's that might be the thing that kickstarts him? Well, first of all, that observation, well, I, I wrote about it a little, but that came from Rick Tockett, the head coach of the Arizona Coyotes and, of course, former assistant coach of the Pens who knows a lot about Galchenyuk and Malkin. So that was his input that he wasn't that surprised that it didn't work out because he knows that Malkin needs a guy who will drive to the net for him, much like I think you see now Brian Rust and Jake Gensel are playing great with Malkin, and we all know that a guy like Rust will go straight to the net. So that's kind of – that was Tockett's opinion and – which is surely better than mine. But <laughs> um, as far as the Galchenyuk to center thing goes, that that's a very interesting idea. But, I mean, you just look back this week when Malkin was sick, and, of course, Crosby's out, Nick Bukestad's out. That's the top three centers on the team. And the move Mike Sullivan made was he put Jake Gensel at center for that game or two until that wasn't working out. Then he elevated Jared McCann. But... Uh, the Pens are just not seemingly wanting to look at Galchenyuk as a center, even on, when they don't have their top three centers. So if they didn't use him then as a center, I don't know when they get Crosby back and they already have Malkin, they have McCann. You're saying they trade Bukestad, but even if they trade Bukestad, they have Crosby, Malkin, McCann, Bluger. They like all those guys better at center than Galchenyuk. So I don't know if they would ever do that. Why not? I, I don't know. Um, I don't know if they're seeing stuff in practice where he's not strong enough defensively to hold up as a center or if he's not going to like do the work on the breakouts as well as they want. So I don't know if it's just a style or scheme type of fit for Mike Sullivan where he doesn't think Galchenyuk has the tools to be a center. And quite frankly, I mean, Galchenyuk, he did come into the league as a center, and he had a great season with Montreal as a center, but Montreal moved him to wing. Arizona kept him at wing. Pittsburgh has kept him at wing. That seems to be a consensus, especially in, in the NHL, is if a player isn't good enough to be a center, because most of these forwards coming up are centers as they're younger and then get kicked out to the wing. And that that's usually because they don't think you can hack it as a center. So... Um, I think it's a good idea by your part. I wouldn't be against, you know, giving it a, a tryout. But, you know, this past week under dire circumstances with Crosby out and Malkin out and Bukestad out, they didn't try Galchenyuk as a center then. So I don't think they frankly ever would. I think they would trade him long before they would do that. But, hey, it's a good idea. I, I don't see what they would really have to lose to give it the old college try. But I don't think that's in the cards. And then the, Tony asks a second question, which position should be strengthened? Uh, I'm always of the mindset you can't have you can never have too many defensemen, and we we saw that especially with uh, uh, Justin Schultz exiting the game, exiting the win over Calgary. Uh, the Penguins really played that entire game without Justin Schultz, so they really only played with five defensemen. John Marino and Chris Letang both were magnified even more. And d just to talk about the, put a bow on that Calgary game, uh, I, I'm continuously more and more impressed the more I watch John Marino. That's a topic for another time. Back to your question, Tony. Which position should be strengthened? Uh, like I said, I, I've always been one. You can never have too many defensemen, especially if you're gearing up for a playoff run. But um, I will say this, Jim, if you have any other um, – if before you have any other uh, – any anything else you'd like to say in regards to Tony's question – uh, this recent stretch of play with Malkin, Gensel, and Rust, and I think we talked about this last week. If 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 Gensel 
and Rust. Let's say Gensel and Rust both go up to the first line when Crosby gets back, and maybe they put Gauchenyuk back with Evgeny Malkin. I think watching this last stretch of play with Evgeny Malkin leads me to think that if they are going to put Gensel with Crosby, I'd like them to go out and try and find somebody. If 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 if, if that player is not on the roster, if he can't mesh with Evgeny Malkin, I'd like them to go out and try and find someone who, and this is probably easier said than done, but someone who can play alongside Evgeny Malkin. And like you said, when you were describing the tendencies of uh, Evgeny Malkin's kind of wingers, those kinds of players that go to the net uh, and and like like, uh, Gensel and Russ do with their speed, I'd like Malkin to get a winger for himself if Gensel and Russ are going to go to the first line. I think that would do wonders in helping prolong this streak that Evgeny Malkin is on. And it can only help as getting more reinforcements on the wing heading into what they hope to be is a long playoff run. But, uh, Jim, do you have any opinions on what position should be strengthened? You nailed it on what they're going to need is winger a winger for Malkin. If Crosby gets back and they give and they switch the lines up or maybe a winger for Crosby, if they keep the first line as it is right now, uh, that to me really looks like the biggest thing right now is, I think it would be great to see like another good scoring forward or two. I definitely agree with you as well that you can never have too much defense, especially when Marcus Pedersen, eh, he's had an okay season. Justin Schultz hasn't really had a great season either, and he's hurt now. Uh, John Marino is a rookie who knows if he's going to hit the rookie wall and not be able to do as well as he has the first 30-some games, which... You know, he's been great, but how long is he going to keep that up? How long are you going to rely on him? So you can never have too much defense. If they go that route, I I wouldn't be upset or surprised. So we will see. And uh, our third question comes from Marty at McNulty for Prez. And uh, we'll go with the hockey question first. Uh, Whose career is better, Yermir Yager or Alex Galchenyuk so far? And then we'll end the mailbag segment with uh he asks what do we prefer salsa verde uh salsa salsa con, con queso or salsa blanco uh so jim because you lived through yaramir yager's penguins tenure i don't know if there's going to be a bias for yaramir yager uh i think i've seen more of uh, uh alex ovechkin's career than y- y- yager's career so i would say that alex Gauche- or um Alex Ovechkin is probably the purest goal scorer I've ever seen play the game. Uh, but seeing how this was your question, I don't want to interrupt. So we'll get, who do you think has had the better career, Yager or Ovechkin? Can't go wrong with either. That's a good question. But um, I would boil it down since it's career so far. And yeah, I, I wouldn't argue Ovechkin has eight Maurice Rocket Richard trophies. He's one of the best goal scorers ever. But if we're talking career, Yager's got... 1,921 career NHL points, more in the KHL. Ovechkin has 1,244 points. So 1,900 versus 1,200, you do the math. Yager (laughs) has more cups. Yager has a gold medal. Yager has five scoring titles. Ovechkin has one. So, I mean, I think Yager, uh, Ovechkin at his peak might have been a a more dominant player, but Yager's reign as as being a more well-rounded player, especially with his vision, was longer and for me um he did it for longer too as well so i would go yager based on just pure career achievement that's a good that's a good point the more well-rounded uh kind of player and i think we we both 
think of Alex Ovechkin as a pure goal scorer and, and really nothing else. So, yeah, I, I like that. I, I like how you categorize both players. Uh, salsa Verde, Salsa Con Queso, or Salsa Blanco? That's a no-brainer for me. I'm a big cheese guy, so I'm going for the queso all day, every day. Always yep. trying to make my own and find the perfect recipe, find the perfect spot. So, yeah, we'll take also we'll take um, suggestions in the mailbag for your favorite either queso spot or Mexican joint in general, or I am welcome, willing to try anything. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I, you can't go wrong with queso. Queso, number one for me. And I echo Jim Sediments. Uh, if you have any any great Mexican joints that you'd like to pass along, uh, please let us know. Uh, but Jim, do you have anything else you'd like to add before we get out of here? Yeah, hold on. I teased the uh, Christoph oh, Oliwa right. story. That's right. That's I don't right. want to leave that unresolved. Um, Christoph Oliwa, I don't know if you know anything about him, Garrett. I know I do not. Time no. for your time too. Okay. Well, he was when we still had fighters in the NHL. That that was pretty much all he could do. He was six foot five, two hundred and forty pounds, just this huge, massive guy, could barely skate really, but but he would just fight people. And he was from Poland, which is kind of rare too. There's not that many NHL players who were born in Poland, so he was that as well. And back in the day at the Mellon Arena, what then was the Mellon Arena, the players used to park in the parking lot, and there were gates. But you could you could stand by the gates after the games, and, you know, they would take a shower and do their media stuff or what they would have to do. And probably like an hour after the game, a lot of the players would trickle out. And if they were in a good mood or if the team, especially if the team had won, some of them would come over to the fence and they would sign autographs for people and stuff like that. I'm sure the older people probably remember. And um, one night when I was there, I, I must have been a kid. This is probably the late 90s. Um, Oliwa comes over, and I guess it, it was one of those games where the Penguins play at home on a Friday night, and they have to fly out, and they're playing on the road on a Saturday. So he was in a hurry, and I think he was one of the last last players out. But he was, he was a very nice guy, so he's trying to sign autographs for all these kids. And this one kid kept had had this puck that he wanted Oliwa to sign. And I, I don't know if the kid was nervous or excited, but he was, like, shaking and moving all around, and his, his arm was, like, going all over the place. And Oliwa has his marker, and he's trying to sign it. And he, he just looks at the kid, you know, he's a fighter and he's from Poland and he's kind of like that Eastern vibe. And he's just like, hold puck still, must get to airport, hold puck still. <laughs> and the way he said that, like, became a running, I guess, like kind of a, a verbal meme to my friends and I, like growing up, we would always say that it, it, was, it was a funny thing. I guess maybe he had to be there, but seeing his name when we were doing episode 29 brought back that memory and that was a good time. Well, any memory you could make in the late 90s, early 2000s about those Penguins teams, uh, any memory is probably a, a positive memory considering what you probably you probably watched and li- lived through. But uh, I'm going to plug the socials because I forgot to plug the socials last week. Uh, you can follow Pensburg on Twitter. Uh, you can also find uh, all of our um, all of our articles get posted to our official Facebook page as well. Uh, like I said earlier. Uh, when we started the mailbag segment, you can follow our official Pennsburg podcast Twitter account at Pennsburg Pod. Uh, follow Hooks on Twitter at Hooks underscore Orpic. Follow myself on Twitter at G Bahana, G B E H A N N A. Don't forget to subscribe and rate five stars on your podcasting platform of choice. We really appreciate all the feedback we get. Uh, but uh, for Jim Rixner, I have been Garrett Bahana. Thank you so much for listening to another edition of the Pennsburg podcast. 
And uh, we will not see you next week. I think, Jim, uh, next week is Christmas and the following week is New Year. So I think we're taking a break for the next two weeks and we'll see you in three weeks time with a brand new episode in the brand new year 2020. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in a couple of weeks for a brand new episode of the Pennsburg Podcast.